Well, good morning. My name is Jared Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I am so glad you're here today. Uh, we're uh, continuing on in a teaching series on the life of Moses that we've creatively titled Moses. And um, <laughs> they're one of the central stories in the Bible. And we uh, have a lot to learn from his life. There's significant moments in his story that I think directly intersect with our story and that God actually wants to teach us about and shape and shift our life through. And today what we're going to look at is a moment of calling that Moses had on his life. And what our hope is for today is that you would have a greater sense and awareness that God actually has callings on your life, that there are callings for every single person on your life. And my hope is that through our time together, you'll be able to greater learn and discern when a calling is from God. And I want to give you a next step at the end of our time today, one word that actually literally has the power to change the trajectory of your life. When you pay attention to the promptings and callings of God, this one word can change everything about your life. Now, yesterday was a, a really special day for us. Uh, our son, Elijah, is in the third grade, and he actually made it to the citywide invention convention finals for an invention that he made in his class. In fact, there's a picture of he and I yesterday from that. I mean, seriously, though, that bow tie. Let's talk about it for a moment. He's like, Dad, I want to look like an inventor. I'm like, you are a little Bill Nye the science guy. Like, look at it. You nailed it, dude. Like, and so fun for his little invention to be up against hundreds of other students from all over Chicago. Big kids, like eighth graders up against him. It was such a fun day for us. And when we were done afterwards, you know, we were talking to him about it. He's like, Dad, here's what I want to invent next. I'm like, that's so awesome. And he's like, I think maybe I want, like, maybe I'll be an inventor. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I could see you selling stuff on QVC. That would <laughs> help kind of pay for mom and dad's retirement. Like, that's a great idea. But that's not the only thing he wants to be when he grows up. He also, uh, there, you know, kind of depends on the week. He's like, Dad, you know what I really want to be when I grow up? What's that? I want to be an army helicopter pilot. I'm like, that is awesome, son. Way to serve your country. Like, don't tell your mom. I think that <laughs> she's not going to go for that, but I love it. And, uh, and then his, uh, one of his other ones is he wants to be an architect. How cool is that? He's nine years old. He's like, Dad, I want to build buildings. I want to be an architect. And I'm, again, I'm like, Dad, you're in the greatest city in the world for that. And again, that's really going to help with our retirement, son. So I want to <laughs> encourage that. But then the fourth one that comes up every week, no matter what, and we, it is on fever pitch right now. He's like, Dad, one day I'm going to play in the NBA. <laughs> and it's my job as his parent to spur on his dreams. But I look at his mom and I and our genetics, and I'm like, you know, let's pick from the first three, son. Let's find. I don't know that that's going to happen for you. That's a, it's a cute thing for kids to consider. What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, you obviously answered that question a moment ago. It's a really cute thing to hear what kids say and what they think they're going to be. Cute question for kids. Uh, here's something not as cute when you're an adult to keep asking that question in your 20s. Like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Or in your 30s? Or in your 50s, what am I going to be when I grow up? I think this is actually a really significant question. I think it is at the heart of this idea of calling. And I was having coffee with a friend of mine uh, not too long ago, catching up, and he said these words to me that I think were very sobering and kind of brought to light what we're going to be talking about for the next few moments. In the midst of our conversation, catching up on where he's at in the season of life, he said to me, he goes, Jared, I, if I'm being honest with you right now, I feel so stuck in my life. He's like, I feel like I'm just circling around my life. And I don't know what to do next. And he said, he's like, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to do with my life. What am I supposed to do with my life? I'm like, I don't, just like one cup of coffee. I don't know that I can answer that for you. 
That's a significant question because I bet all of us at one season or another, and maybe even actually right now, you are feeling, you know what it's like to feel stuck. You ever felt that way? Stuck, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And we get stuck for all kinds of different reasons and all kinds of different ways. Sometimes you get stuck doing nothing. Maybe you lost a job or quit a job and the next thing didn't line up like you thought it would. And a couple weeks became a couple months and now you feel like that same thing. You're just circling around, stuck doing nothing. Sometimes we get stuck doing something in our lives, giving our lives to something, and we don't even know why. Have you ever had that moment? You kind of wake up in the middle of your career run a couple years in, 20 years in, and go, why am I even doing this? How did I get here? And you feel stuck even though you're doing something every day. Other folks, maybe you feel stuck doing the wrong thing. You're stuck in a relationship that you know is unhealthy. You know it is not bringing life to you or that other person, but the thought of starting over, that's a lot of work. Maybe you're stuck in a a job or a season of life where, gosh, you know this isn't it, this isn't right, but you're like, oh my gosh, if I had to go back and try and build my life all over again, I'd rather just keep doing the thing I know than try and figure out what that is. You ever felt stuck before? Well, this is exactly and precisely the moment that we find Moses at in the story we're going to be looking at today. That feeling of being stuck. And the reason why that resonates so deeply with us and why that is kind of honestly a soul level wrestling is because I believe that God has placed calling at the center of the human condition. That all of us long for purpose in who we are and what we do. I believe that that sense of calling or direction is essential and central to the human condition. That's why it stirs and eats at us and why you can even stay up at night wondering about it. This is where Moses is at when we find him at this moment, circling around his life, stuck in a season. And we're going to look at the way that God calls him and see what we can learn about that for our own lives. And to do so, we're going to use a framework of questions because I think when it comes to this question of calling, like my friend said, like, what am I supposed to even do with my life? I think we ask the right questions, but we tend to ask them the wrong way. And what I want to offer is a framework for you to look at least at Moses' life. And my hope would be that you would consider your own life through this framework. When it comes to callings and what you're supposed to do with your life, the first question we typically tend to ask is what? It's a what question. What am I supposed to do? What's next? What do I do now? Right? That's where we tend to start. That's where our pros and cons lists get going. What, 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 what? Great question. That should never be the first question you ask. When it comes to discerning and learning about callings, specifically callings from God, who always comes first? Then what? This is so important. It can seem like semantics. It's not. It changes the way that you look at this framework. First who, then what? First who, then what? This is so important. In fact, I want to have you repeat it right now. Okay, so first is, then, so when it comes to questions of calling, first is, then, this is hugely important. We start with who. And I want you to think of that framework. Who, then what? Who, then what? As we look through the life of Moses, and hopefully as you look over your life in whatever season you may be in right now. Now, so if you have a Bible, I want you to open to Exodus chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament, pretty much all the way to the left. If you don't have a Bible with you, we got you covered. There should be a gray Bible in your seat back. Exodus chapter 3 is on page 40 in the gray Bible. So if you're here or in our overflow space, you can find it under your seat or behind or in front of you. You can grab that. Exodus chapter 3, page 40. Let me give you quick context. Can I fast track you through everything that happened? Last week, Nancy Beach did an amazing job talking about Moses' mother and how she had to place Moses in the river of trust with God as a baby. The Pharaoh at that time was killing all the Israelite boys. Moses was an Israelite in captivity in Egypt. His life was spared by God, not only spared by God, 
but he was actually rescued and brought into the house of Pharaoh. So Moses, an Israelite, is raised by the most powerful family in the known world. That's the house he grows up in. Not bad. That's like, like, that, like the next royal baby being you, like you being adopted into the royal family. It would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? So that's what he grows up with. And, but yet he has this gnawing, this who question. Who am I really? I kind of see everything around me. Who am I really? And he knows that part of who he is is an Israelite. And he sees the uh, brutal way that they're being treated and that the empire he so richly enjoyed was built on the backs and the sweat of the Israelites. And one day, in a moment of clarity that led to rage, he sees an Egyptian guard mistreating an Israelite and he snaps and he kills the Egyptian guard, murders him. And then kind of realizes like, that was a bad decision. It's not going to look good on my resume. And so he runs and flees. He leaves the life he knew and he runs into the wilderness, into a season of wandering. It will not be his last. And in that season, he is now completely, his life has turned upside down. And this is not what he thought. And so here he is circling around out in the wilderness, not knowing what is next, but God's about to show him who he really is. So Exodus 3, verse 1, this is what God does. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So he's working for his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And Moses had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It plays a really important part in the role of Moses' life and specifically the story of the people of Israel. They will be back to this mountain many years from now. Verse 2, there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, the fl- in flames of fire from within a bush. Are you familiar with this imagery? It's very iconic biblical imagery, that there's a bush that is burning and Moses is drawn to it. He saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses, being the wise, intuitive, discerning leader that he is, says these profound words. I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? And so this is, we already see just the character of Moses and the insight. I mean, it's just kind of like, I'm surprised he didn't throw a rock at it. Like just, you know, just, why is it? And, and this is a very important and significant moment that we see here. That this bush is burning and Moses sees it and he goes over to pay attention to it. I just want to hit pause right now because, because this is such a famous and iconic uh, story and imagery from the story of the Bible and from this idea of calling. Uh, the question that I've always had is, okay, why a burning bush? Like, why that? Like, a lot of imagery in the Bible. Like, why a, why a burning bush? What is that? And you know what the, the secret, you know what the answer is to why a burning bush? I have no idea. And it doesn't ultimately really matter because sometimes God uses the most random and obscure things to get our attention. Things that you did not see coming, you never thought, I wonder what a bush on fire that doesn't burn up looks like. You never even consider that, but God says, I'm going to get your attention. Sometimes God uses pivotal circumstances and moments to get your attention. But you know what I love about God? That's not all he does because sometimes God whispers the next step to you. And so this is what's happening. This is a burning bush moment for Moses. It won't be the last moment of calling for him. And it won't be the only way that God speaks to him. But he's calling, he's speaking to him through the bush. And so Moses goes over to it, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses calls him by name, Moses. And Moses said, this is powerful, actually. Here I am. Now, I just want you to think about those three words because they actually say a lot. Think about here I am. I was there. I was in Egypt. I don't know what happened. How did I get here? How am I in the middle of nowhere? circling around my life. Here I am, God. It's, you know my name. You called me Moses. Here I am. Do you know who I am, God? Do you know what I've done? 
Up to this point in the story of Moses, we don't have really any great indication that he had any sort of real relationship with God. We don't know. He just recognizes his name. He says, here I am, and I don't even know how I got here. That's a, what it feels like to be stuck. And what we see here in this moment of calling is the first sort of who question, before what, who before what. And that ultimately is the question of who is calling you. This is very important when you're trying to learn and discern, is God in this? Am I supposed to do this? Very important first question to ask, who is calling you? This is a pretty important question. Would you not agree? Like, who is this that's actually, is this God? Is God, are you calling me to this? Now this, I want to just be really clear. This word of calling and God gets greatly misused, if not abused, by a bunch of Christians. They love to put callings on things that maybe aren't callings. They're just ideas. But I'm going to say God said it, so that way you have to listen to it. In fact, when I was down in Atlanta, we worked at a church. I worked in the singles ministry of a church, a really large church. We had thousands of single folks. They'd come to these big events we do. And someone on our staff, Carrie, is an amazing woman, was single at that time. And so, you know, all, for all the single guys, she kind of had a target on her. And so they were, everyone wanted to ask Carrie out all the time. And, it, you know, she handled it so well. In fact, one guy at one event, one night came up to Carrie and, and came up to her and used this word, this calling. And he said to her, dead serious, I was there. He goes, uh, Carrie, I need to let you know something. <laughs> I'm adding a little dramatic effect, but just go with it. God's calling me to date you. And what I love, I mean, without even missing a beat, she goes, well, clearly God dialed the wrong number. I'm like, oh, I gave her a raise right in this spot. I'm like, that's too good. That's too good. People can greatly misuse this idea of, is God calling me? Is God calling me? Is God a part of this? But that, that question, who is calling you? I want you to think about where you're at right now in this season of life and just consider for a second, how did you get here? My hunch is there are a bunch of other who's that have called you to where you're at right now. My hunch is, good or bad, that there were people in your life, maybe parents or teachers early in your life that said, this is who you are, so this is what you must do. You're really good at math, so you should do this kind of job. You're really good at sports, so you should do this kind of thing. Well-intentioned, I'm sure, but maybe they were the voice that called you to where you're at right now, and you never even stopped to think about it or realize it. Or conversely, maybe there were people in your life early on that said, well, this is who you're not, so therefore this is what you can't do. You're a woman, you can't do that. You're this color skin, you can't do that. You come from this kind of background, you can't do that. And so there are all kinds of who's in our past that have called us and even led us to places we're at. I wonder who that is for you. And I wonder, not only is it things from our past, but there's who's in our life right now that are calling us to a life that we think we're supposed to live. And this is really honestly where the seed of false self comes because we have this idealized picture of what our life is supposed to look like, where we're supposed to be at in our career, where we're supposed to be at in a relationship. We're supposed to own a home. We're supposed to have this kind of car. We're supposed to be married. We're supposed to have kids. And we have this idea of our life and that drives every decision that we make, but we've never even stopped to ask, is this who God created me to be? Or is this who I think I'm supposed to be? Or is this who I see everyone else around me being? And then you look on Facebook and you see that everyone else is killing it, except for you. <laughs> That's not a fun moment. Who's calling you? Is it, is it the one who created you? Because there is no one who knows you better than the one who puts you together. Who is calling you? This is a very important question for Moses to discern. It's a question that no amount of pros and cons lists can ever answer. If God is calling you, the answer is 
yes, here I am. Here I am. Here I am, God. And I believe that God, as I said, has callings for every single one of our lives. Sometimes they are big, life-altering callings like Moses is about to face. Change the trajectory of your life in a moment. Your life is different. I believe that God has that for everyone. I do not believe that those are just reserved for spiritually elite people. Moses and me are proof of that. They're not just reserved for spiritually elite people. Every single one of us has life-shifting, altering, changing callings in our life. And then what God gives us along the way is lots of little callings every day. Little ways for you to learn, discern, is this from God? Do you know every single, if you're serious about being in a relationship with God, if you would say, yeah, I follow Jesus, do you know every day you wake up, there's a calling on your day for integrity. You're called to integrity at work. I know you could get there faster or further if you cut a few corners. I know that you could make yourself appear better by putting others down, but God says, no, 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 I'm calling you to integrity today. Will you, know, will you recognize it's me who's calling you that? You know, if you're serious about following God, you, you are following a God who calls you to forgive others. I know you want to make them pay. I know that they don't deserve your forgiveness, but I follow a God who calls me every single day to forgive others as he has forgiven me. They're big life-changing callings. And all of it, they're going to look different for every single one of us. But anyone who's serious about following Jesus has lots of little daily callings where you get to learn and discern, will I recognize that this is actually the God of the universe who's calling me to this today? So an important first who question, who is calling you? And then there's something really, really, really important to, to discern when it comes to callings, and that's the next sort of who question. It's found in verse 10. So God says to Moses, so now go. He says to Moses, Go. Go, I'm sending you, there's the who, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, now here's the second who, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The next great who question when you're considering a calling and is it from God is is there's always someone on the other end of that calling. The question is who is it to? Who is it to? Now, there's important questions you got to answer, decisions you got to make for your life that don't have anything to do with anyone else, right? You're wrestling through a decision. Man, should I take this job? I mean, they're going to pay me like significantly more than this job is currently paying me. Or I get to move to a place where the sun shines at least more than three consecutive days in a row. And you have to consider like, those are all great decisions. I just don't know that I put those in the category of callings. They're great and they're important for you. Decisions you got to make, you got to discern, you got to... I just wouldn't call those like, God is calling me to California. Well, God's calling me to California. I need to be clear about that. But I'm here in Chicago first. There's always a who at the end of a calling. Who is it to? Who will be blessed? Who will, be, who will benefit? Whose life will be impacted by the love of God because you say yes to God? If there's not a who at the end of it, then I just wouldn't call it a calling. That's all. It's a decision. Probably an important one. But a calling always has a who at the end of it. Who is it to? And maybe for you, it's to your family. You feel called to be a parent who's actually present, to break a cycle that maybe you grew up with. Right, man? So you go, I, here's the calling. It's clear. It's these, these little ones. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's to the poor, the oppressed, the overlooked in our city, which we have more than enough of. And it may align with your job, it may not, but you know inside, that's the who that's at the end of my calling. I gotta do whatever I gotta do to be about what God is doing, to be with the poor, the oppressed, the overlooked. 
Now, I'm not sure what the who is at the end of it, but if it's calling, there's always going to be a who at the end of who God's calling you to. In this case, it's the Israelites. God says, this is who. You being faithful to this calling, this is who will benefit. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Moses' case. And this is just a sidebar. It's not like in the, in the notes per se, but if you're wondering and you're wrestling through, is God calling me to this? Is God calling me to this? Here's a surefire way for you to know that God is calling you to it, whatever it is. You will fight it tooth and nail. You will resist it with everything in you. And so like that's what we're about to look at in Moses. And this is why I love the Bible. This is, why I, this is part of why I believe it to be true because if I wrote this book, I would not include the next section. This is very embarrassing stuff for Moses because what he does is he fights with the God who created him and tries to convince God that he's wrong. All right, verse 11, let's look at this. This is how he starts fighting it with God. But Moses said to God, who, there's a who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm not equipped. I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to do this, God? You got the wrong guy. Verse 12, and God said, here's how, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'm the God who brought you to. I'm the God who will bring you through. I will be with you. And he says, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'll give you a sign that it's I who's actually sending you. When you've brought, I love it, God's just assuming like you're going to do this, Moses. So he's speaking in future tense. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And they do. God brings them back to the mountain as this gift of a little bookmark to the season of calling that God puts on his life. And you hear that, and you, if you know, you're Moses, you want to believe, you go, oh, Lord, that's beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that promise. That's so good. I will go. But he doesn't. He absolutely does not. He continues to make excuse after excuse. Verse 13, Moses said to God, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> suppose, hypothetically speaking, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, I'm, I'm going to guess they're going to have some questions. And they ask me, what is his name? Now, again, pause, Moses. That's the best question you could come up with. I was like, what's the plan? How? When do we break out? But this is the one he comes up with. What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I don't know what to tell them. God, I, I don't know how this is all going to work out. How are you going to do it? How is it going to work? How is this all going to come together? And what I love is that God answers all of his how questions with a who answer. And God says some of those, I mean, God gives himself one of the most beautiful and powerful and poetic names found in the Bible. Verse 14, God says to Moses, here's the answer to all your how questions. I am who I am. That's all you need to know. I am. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And what God is saying in there is he's saying, listen, I want you to understand, I am creator. I am sustainer. I am provider. I am healer. I am restorer. I am the God who is more than enough than you will ever possibly be able to understand in this world. I am all and more. I am is enough for you. God says, you want to know how? Here's your answer. Me. I am. And what a great encouragement that is to every one of the fears and excuses you and I face. When we're up against something that we sense God calling us to, oh, I don't know how it's going to work. Oh, I don't know how it's going to work. God says, me. Remember me. I am all that you need. And, and again, if I heard that, I want to believe it. I'd go, oh, God, oh, that's so powerful. I am. It's so good. Thank you for making it so clear. I will go, Lord. But he doesn't. 
In fact, Moses spends the next chapter, verse after verse, arguing with God, trying to convince the all-knowing God of the universe that he's got it wrong. And I look at that and I go, oh my gosh, Moses, seriously, how can you like continue up and on with this? But the truth of the matter is for me, I, there are chapters of my story that I've spent trying to convince God he's wrong. Chapters of my life where I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, good, sounds great, but have you seen the pros and cons list? There's no way, God, it's going to work. Sounds great, God, but you don't understand, like, you don't understand, let me explain it to you, God, how it really works in the world. I got to tell you how, because I don't, your who is not enough for me. I bet you've had seasons, I bet you've had chapters of your life, chapters of your life, where you've wrestled with, resisted, run from God. The great news is you are not alone. One of the greatest heroes and central characters in the story of God did so too. And what we see is a very patient and persistent and powerful God dealing with all of Moses' resistance. In fact, verse 10, he continues on. I want you to jump to Exodus 4, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. I told you, it's a whole chapter. This is the last sort of fight that Moses puts up, or one of the last ones. He says, Moses says, Lord, okay, pardon, okay, pardon. Okay, one more thing, God. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. In other words, God, I'm not good at the talking thing. I can't do this. To which I go, really? Because you spent an hour and a half arguing with God. I think you're pretty good. Like, you could be a great attorney. Like, that's incredible. He goes, no, 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 no. I got it. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. I can't. And so he's wrestling now with the third who question. And look at how God answers for him. Exodus 4, verse 11. The Lord said to him, okay, okay, okay. Hey, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who created the ability to even speak in the first place? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So now let me say it again. Go. And look what he says. I will do it all for you. Is that what he says? I'll just fill in the blanks so you don't have to worry about it. No, God says, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. God's not letting Moses off the hook. Well, that's what we want God to do. Just make it, like, make it easy, make it obvious. Do it for me if you would, please, God. God's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it for you. I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. I know you're questioning who you are and, and, that, and how, how is this all going to work. I created you. I put you together. And so certainly I know what I'm doing when I call you. And that's the third question to consider when you're wrestling with, is this a calling from God? The question is, who are you? And Moses was asking the question like, who am I? Who am I? But God invites you and I to ask the question, who am I? Okay, God, how have you wired me up? How have you put me together? How does my story actually lead to this Next chapter, because no calling from God is completely disconnected from your story. In fact, the amazing thing is, is the next chapter, whatever that may be with you and God, is always built upon the whole of your story. Any calling from God is going to be connected to the truth of who you are. This is what Moses couldn't see. Maybe he's too distracted by a burning bush. I don't know exactly what's going on, but this calling that God has given him in this moment, here's the deal. It's to the Israelites. Guess what Moses was? An Israelite. It's to go back to Pharaoh, his brother actually, to go back to Egypt. Where did Moses grow up? With this Pharaoh in Egypt. It's already a part of his story. He grew up in a house of great power and where he got to watch leadership happen. God is going to make him a great 
leader. And Moses was familiar with wandering. He's in a season of wandering. God's like, awesome. We're going to do that some more later. I'll save that for next week. This is all a part of who he actually is. And so anytime you're up against a calling, you have to ask yourself, God, where is it like, who am I? How have you wired me? How is this connected to my story? The themes may not see, the threads may not seem as obvious on the surface, but I guarantee you they are there. That God weaves together every part of who you are in your story for the next chapter of your story. Listen, your calling is never disconnected from your crafting. How God has wired you up. And this is true of my own life. I can only tell you that I, like, I've just, I've, this is true, I've seen it in other people's lives, but I can only speak with authority for my own life. And I've only had a few moments in my life where I felt a real sense of like calling, where I was like, okay, this is from God. This church is one of them. But the first one I ever really felt that was from God came when I was 19 years old. And I just want you to see how that who question is answered through this little moment from my story. I was 19 years old. I'd grown up a Christian. In fact, I'd grown up going to this camp called Hume Lake Christian Camp. It's a Christian camp in Northern California. It's a very special place to me. And I was there now as a counselor. So I'd grown up as a camper there. Now I'm a counselor with a bunch of middle school students, hundreds of thousands of middle school students all over the place running around. And I have a seat and I reflect. I want to show you the picture of where I was at. Sitting and reflecting. Now, yeah, if you can't hear from God there, we need to talk afterwards, okay? <laughs> and if you want the address of there, I'll send you there. You can listen to God. And as I'm sitting there reflecting, kind of just listening to all the noise and the fun and the chaos of all these kids behind me, I'm telling you, I felt a little calling on my life. God say, Jared, this is what I've created you for. I'm telling you, it wasn't a burning bush. The lake didn't catch on fire. There was nothing like that. It was a little whisper. And I knew it in my soul, that place that longs for calling and purpose. And I felt God say, this is what I've created you for, to love and serve the local church, to love the local church like I do, to serve it as best you can with your life. Now that moment for me, listen, my context is a bunch of middle school students. They're all running around me. And so what I hear is, Lord, you're calling me to middle school students. Lord, you're calling me to middle school students. Lord, God, thankfully God is kind and compassionate. That was not the whole of my calling. Grateful for those for whom it is. But for the next couple years, that's what I said. Okay, God, if, that's, if I'm supposed to love the local church, I'll start where I'm at. And I knew that I needed to get some training, some education in this, right? So I want you to understand, 19 years old, sitting at this place, Hume Lake, have this little stirring that God has invited me to say yes. It's a who thing. Who he is, who it's for his local church, and who I am, how he had wired me already to be a leader and to be a communicator. And I just didn't see it all yet. In fact, this is pre-Jeannie, so she usually tells me what the calling of God is in my life, and she wasn't even there yet. But I want you to pay attention. What I could not see from that vantage point, that little moment that I had to say yes to God, I just want you to see, at least in my life, what came from there. So I say yes to God, and so I go, okay, I gotta get some education. I don't know how to do all this stuff, and so go get some training. The only real like, Christian college I knew about was here in the city of Chicago. So from the Bay Area, California, Within a couple months, I was on a plane to come out here and visit this school. You know, the first day I walked on that campus, I saw someone in chapel across the way. And I went, whoa. That's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And then she just happened to be a friend of my friend. I'm like, God, you are good. <laughs> and the couple days that I was here in Chicago, I fell in love with Jeannie. 
met her here, just from that little saying yes, going to a school, not knowing that that was part of the story. I could have never pictured that. I met her. We fell in love. I mean, I still had to deal with um, the girl back home that I'd been dating for three years, but <laughs> let God sort out the details. Let God sort out the details. Let's stay up here. I want you to stay up here. Stay up here. Stay up here. So we fall in love, and she has a calling in her life for the local church. Got it woven our lives together. Like, that's, I'm not saying that's the story for everyone. That's our story. And so we're like, you know, we should get involved in a local church around here. And so we'd known about Willow Creek Community Church out in the suburbs. Maybe you've heard of it. And so we started volunteering there. I had no idea the first day. I remember the first day I walked in there. had no idea I'd spend 11 years of my life, some of those formative years of my life, working for that church. I, I could not have seen it from that vantage point. And then from there, G and I, God would sow the seeds for the vision of this church and would lead us through, as we're going to look at next week, the long way around to get here. I, could, I, didn't see, I couldn't see you sitting there. All I knew I had in front of me was the opportunity to say yes to God. And that really is what it comes down to. God, God did not give Moses the whole picture. He did not spell it out for him. If he had, Moses would have walked away from that burning bush, just like you and I try to all the time. Instead, God says, I will be with you. Your how is a who. I am. And you have no idea what today's yes will mean for tomorrow. You have no idea. And this is what I see, and this, this is why I love our church, because it's everyday, ordinary folks, not super spiritual person in this room, who are saying, okay, will I say yes? Will I say yes? Will I say yes to God? I think of our friends Deb and Keith, and there's a calling on their home. They have a calling on their home. They look at their home, they go, it's a gift from God. God, we believe we are called to let people live with us, to let people stay with us. When people hit a wall, hit hard times, we want to open up a room. God, we believe you've put a calling on something as simple as a house. And I'm telling you, lives have been shaped and changed. There is a bunch of who's that are thankful for that calling that they said yes to. I think of my friend Dan upstairs in Soul City Kids, and he loves the arts and creativity and acting and directing. He's got a day job, and that kind of consumes a lot of his time, but his calling is to helping kids have moments where they experience God through moments of wonder and delight. And so he kind of figures out, I'm going to work out my calling off the clock. I'm going to serve here at Soul City Kids. And create. our kids love Mr. Dan. And when he teaches the stories upstairs, that's who they want to talk about afterwards. That's just him saying, I'm going to say yes as best I can. In the midst of everything else going on in my life, I'll say yes to you, God. I think of my friend Jason, who felt a stirring and wrestled with it from God to say yes to God, to bringing his aging mother up to Chicago to live with him in this season and be a part of her through this next chapter of her life. And he, he talked about fighting and resisting. He fought and resisted, fought and resisted. But no, God, I believe for whatever reason, you're calling me to this for this season. So God, I just want to say yes to you. He has no idea what the trajectory of that yes will be. But he did say yes, and I believe you can too. Here's the deal. Whatever it is that God has next for you, whatever it is, big or small, tomorrow or for the rest of your life, whatever God has next waits for your yes. It waits for your yes. Will you say yes to God? That little stirring tomorrow to integrity at work, to offering forgiveness to your spouse or to your roommate, 
that bigger calling that you've been wrestling with. And am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so you ask all the who questions. God's like, awesome. This is from me. I'm calling you to do this. But we'll, it really all comes down to whether or not you're willing to say, yes, I will not do this for you, but I certainly will do it with you and through you. Will you just say yes? Can you imagine what might happen if every person who claimed to be a Christian in this country said yes to God for just one week? Every day, whatever it was, said yes. Do you think we might feel the impact of that throughout our country? So think about your life this week. And what would it look like for you to say yes to God every day in big and small ways? Here's the great thing. You already did it today. You had a thousand reasons why you didn't have to come to church today. You already said yes and showed up here. So you're already up one. Good job. You're off to a great start. And in a moment, we're just going to sing and respond to God by worshiping him. I want to invite you to say yes to worshiping God. Say yes to glorifying God and saying, God, you are so good. You are the great I am. And I offer the life that you've given me back to you, God. You can say yes to God right now today. And then I want you to just think about as we pray here, what would it look like for you to say yes to God? You've been fighting, you've been resisting, or maybe you've just been totally unaware that it's been the God who created you that is actually calling you to just say yes. So I want to invite you to stand, and I want to pray for us as you do right now. And if you would, take a posture. We take all the time here at Soul City Church with hands open. This is where we get to start saying yes to God. God, I'm open, I'm open. Whatever it is, I want to say yes. I don't want to miss who you are and what you have for me, God. So God, we come to you, the God who called Moses, who changed the trajectory of history. You're the same God who created us and is calling us in big and small ways right now. And so God, I, I pray that we would practice learning and discerning how to say yes to you in lots of little ways this week. We would just say yes, God. We feel that tug, that nudge to have that conversation with that person at work, God, to say no to that temptation, God, that we would say, God, I'm choosing you. It's yes to you, God. And when I say yes to you, whatever it is that's next, God, begins. So God, I, I pray that that would be true of our church, that when we gather here together next week, we would feel a tangible sense of what it means for a community of people to simply say yes to you. Thank you, God, that you still call us. Thank you, God, you haven't given up on us. And thank you, God, that you are with us and that is enough. So we worship you, the great I am. We bring all of who we are to all of who you are in this moment as we draw close to you. In your name we pray, amen.